Hi, and welcome to Processing Pros, a series through Ear on Processing. On this series, we're joined by engineers, executives, and other thought leaders in the process manufacturing sector to cover a variety of topics you need to know to better manage your industrial process operations and to maximize product quality output and profitability. And now, on to the episode. Hello, my name is Nate Todd, Senior Editor of Processing, and I'm joined today by Diane Cave, Eastern Lead Consultant at Element 6 Solutions. Thanks for speaking with me today, Diane. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, what does Element 6 Solutions do, and where do you operate? We're an uh, engineering consulting company, I guess is the way to say it. We have different sections or divisions or groups of people that specialize in different things. My group that I'm with, we are a sole entity group that just does dust and all aspects of dust. So we deal with um, new systems, old systems, so designing new systems or retrofitting existing systems, vessel strength analysis, hazardous area classification, uh, DHAs, of course. Everyone's looking for DHAs these days. Um, good design and kind of anything and everything across the board dealing with dust. And the other groups, we have another group that does scanning. So 3D dimensional scanning of plants or facilities for um, new builds or uh, as in you're putting in a new new line of equipment into a plant or you want to change stuff around. So do that, which um, is super handy in this day and age, especially when you're dealing with an existing facility and you want to put in well, say a dust collection system, you can go in and scan it and then we can come back to the office and we know what to miss and, and what we're not going to hit. Um, and then we have a main group, I guess you would say, and, and they do kind of everything in terms of, of engineering, but predominantly specialty chemical work. So, um, so production line modifications or installations of new facilities, design of new plants, kind of anything across the board in, in terms of that predominantly not specific like not always but predominantly dealing with specialty chemicals see see and and what what's your background how did you get into this line of work uh i'm a chemical engineer from dalhousie university and i was actually going to be a pharmacist which when people talk to me think that it's it's really funny uh, <laughs> and, and people that know me and once I had, um, I volunteered at a pharmacy and then I realized I didn't want to do that. And I went to university, did all my general stuff and got my chemical engineering degree because I figured it could lead into pharmaceuticals if I wanted it to. And the funny thing is out of all the different facilities I've been in, I've never once been in a pharmaceutical plant. Never once, never stepped foot in it. Um, and then, uh, I ended up getting into what I am doing now because I was hired by a gentleman that this is what he did. And I just learned from him and nothing in my, uh, things unconventional always happened to me. And so I was working at a hardware store. I was working at the customer service desk at Canadian tire. And so all the Canadians out there will know exactly what that is. And he came in, I made fun of him. He saw my iron ring on my left hand. I'm left-handed. And in Canada, you wear a ring on your pinky finger of your working hand. And he saw my ring and he was like, you're an engineer. And I was like, well, aren't you brilliant? And he hired me. 
and <laughs> I worked for him for 15 years. And then I just needed to kind of prove to myself that I could make it on my own. And so I uh, left and went with Element 6 and started uh, a division or a group for with them for um, for Dust. Interesting. I haven't heard about the <laughs> Iron Ring uh, thing. Yeah, so you can look it up on Wikipedia or whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really interesting and 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 somewhat cultish actually. Um, but yeah. So at, at the Powder Show in April, you were on a keynote panel that was discussing the challenges faced by women in the processing industries. What were some of your takeaways from that conversation, and uh, what's your experience been like in such a male-dominated field? The, the biggest takeaway, I think, was that even though everyone, all of us that were on the panel were all from very different backgrounds and different diverse kind of areas within the manufacturing or production or um, powder handling's world, we all kind of had the same things to say and the same kind of experiences. No one's was terribly horrific. It's, it's not as if we were all lucky enough to not have any of those horror stories, but we all kind of had the same, the same things where people uh, won't, won't look you in the face. So they won't answer the question directly at you. They'll look at the, the, your male counterpart standing beside you, you know, you're undermined because they think that, well, you know, this is the guy's world and the guys all know and, and that sort of thing. And it, it was, I don't know, refreshing, I guess. Cause I don't know if I, I, I think I had in the back of my mind that it was like, Oh, well, it just must be something that I have to deal with every once in a while. But, um, so that was probably the, the biggest kind of eye opener or takeaway. And then the other big thing was that how things have kind of progressed in the last, the last little while. And that's not quite as common as it, as it used to be. It still happens every once in a while, but we're all, we all kind of had the same sentiment sentiments about that, that uh, um, things are, are changing and you, you notice it. Yeah. That's, that's good that things are changing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And in terms of working in a male dominated world, I never really thought about it, which sounds really weird. I, I've always had this mindset where I'm like, I just do what I do and I do the best job I can do. And I have never, I've, I've had a few kind of funny run-ins um, over the years, but nothing where I felt that I was being held back or um, at a being seen as being disadvantaged because I was, I was female. So I've, I guess I've been really, really lucky in that respect. I've had a few instances where, um, like, uh, people won't talk to me. They'll answer to my male counterpart, but I nip those in the butt pretty quick. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so what are some of the most common design problems with dust collection systems that you encounter in your work? So in 20 years, which I find it hard to believe that I've been doing this all over 20 years now, it makes me feel old. Um, any, anyhow, in 20 years, I think the biggest downfall in, in dust collection is education and not necessarily even like whether it's combustible dust or design system, it's education, people not knowing what they don't know. So they stand there and they're put in a new piece of equipment, conveyor belt X. and 
they're like, oh, we need a dust hood on conveyor belt X. Well, we've got a duct over here, and then they just kind of slap it in. And then that happens time and time again. It's very seldom that you go into a some form of facility, and there isn't some sort of random modifications done to a dust collection system. And it's funny because you go into you go into these plants and everyone thinks that they're all kind of sheepish about the fact that they've done these modifications and they think that they're like the only ones that do it. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> this, this is normal. It shouldn't be, but but it is. It, and it's very normal. And that's probably the biggest downfall or or common occurrence, I guess you'd say, is that so people don't through because they they don't understand or just aren't aware of how basically the math behind it works. And then things just kind of get modified without, you know, actual design thought put to it. They're they're modified for need and not whether or not the system can do it or or for design. Okay. So maybe the system was originally designed but but a lot of times the modifications after the fact uh, are reducing its uh, performance. Fair statement, yeah. And sometimes the systems aren't even really designed. They they're put in. Um, uh, someone came in and, or someone within the facility was like, "Oh, well, this seems about a good size duct." Or I read this or whatnot, and this should do. And then they add twenty five percent to it because to you know, Tim Taylor it. I guess Tim Taylor it up. Is that can I use that phrase? Is that still relevant? Probably not, but. Um, and so then they, you know, they add a little more gusto to the system. So then it works, but then as they keep going on and modifying and modifying, modifying it and modifying it, then it just kind of, um, its effectiveness just deteriorates over time and then it just becomes really bad. Got it. It sucks, but it doesn't suck. Right. So do certain industries experience more challenges with dust collection or explosion protection than others? And why would that be? In terms of dust collection, I would say that um, all, pretty much all industries I've been in, some facilities struggle in some fashion or form. And in terms of explosion protection, the industries that seem to be more on top of it, or and, and it's not necessarily industries, but it's facilities, I think, are the ones that, sadly enough, have had instances or events that have happened within either at their facility or within their organization. And they've come to the realization that it can happen to them and they, or can happen very close to home and they don't want it to either happen again or happen at that exact facility. So they get on, on board with things and they get things all kind of um, in line and put together. But in terms of like industry specific, I would say that the the grain industry struggles, um, and I think because it's it's so large, like the grade grain food handling, it's just such a large industry, and there's so much of it, and it's kind of varied right across from. We're talking about like feed mills and farmer silos, right through to, you know, making granola bars. It's all. Uh, that same industry. And it's, it's such a large, varied industry. And like I said, it's, it's massive. And so some of the industry, some of the folks in the industry have the ability and the money to do the upgrades, but some of them, some of them don't. So it's a, the difference between maybe them 
going out of business or, or, or not doing it. So what are some of the most critical steps processors can take to keep their dust collection systems operating safely and efficiently? Safely and efficiently. Um, so safely, we'll start with, we'll start, we'll start with safely first. Okay. <laughs> so safely, I think if you don't have somebody who is on your facility or in your, your general area, that's a uh, dust collection kind of, I don't like the term expert, but have, have knowledge of, of a dust collection system, then you should probably, you should seek someone out to come in and make sure that they, that everything is designed as it should be and is running as it should be. Because in within the dust collection world, people think think it's acceptable for a dust collection system to collect about 30% or less of the dust. They figure if anything is coming out of the bottom of the dust collector, then heck, it's doing its job. But it should really be collecting in the realm of like 90% plus of your fugitive dust. And so when I tell people that, their eyes all light up and they're like, never, that could never, ever happen. Well, that's how it should happen. And that's kind of your fugitive dust. Like I'm not looking to pick up powder off your production lines, but your, your airborne dust. And so if it hasn't been designed correctly and isn't maintained correctly, then that's where it should start, I guess, would be the way to say that. And then to keep it going, facilities that have somebody at plant that owns the the system. So it's, it's, you know, they're, they're baby and they're responsible for it and they have to answer for its maintenance and making sure that it's, it's kept. Then those facilities have more positive results with dust collection systems and people were like, yeah, yeah, it's there. And we look at it, you know, when it starts spewing dust or, you know, when we had a purchase or um, not a purchase order, uh, maintenance order, sorry, a maintenance order to, to change the bags or to do this or to to maintain whatever, grease the bearings, then that's when we look at it. And so the companies that have somebody that looks after it and checks it on a daily or weekly basis or whatever and pays attention to it, that they have a more successful dust collection system. And by successful, I mean that it actually functions. And that person usually has a base knowledge of a dust collection system. So again, it comes back to education. So education and, and being aware of their system. Uh, and then in terms of working safely, that was the second part of the correct question. Correct? Uh, efficiently was of, the second part. Oh, efficiently was the second part. Um, so in terms of getting it to work efficiently, um, I think the same thing would apply. And the other thing that plays into that as well would be the if you're going to make modifications to the system to make sure that they're actually designed as opposed to just, we were saying, I was saying before, as opposed to just slapping them on. Sure, sure. And I imagine the uh, the housekeeping requirements in a facility uh, vary considerably if your dust collector is operating at 30% efficiency versus 90, huh? Correct. So housekeeping is directly proportional or inversely proportional, I guess, to a dust collection system's effectiveness. So if your dust collection system is, if your hoods are placed um, in correct locations and you've got adequate suction and your system is running effectively, then your housekeeping should should decline. There'll always be a certain amount of housekeeping because, as I said, a dust collection system should be collecting 
about 90% of your debt. So your housekeeping would then only be, you know, in that 10% range and a whole lot less frequent, obviously. Um, but if it's not working, then your housekeepers usually have a hard time to keep up. Sure. Um, before we uh, started the interview, you mentioned um, you had a lot of dust hazard analysis work. Um, are those, a lot of those uh, still initial dust DHAs or are they uh, follow up or, you know, second round, third round? Some some of them are second round. Um, i trying to think here. So it's probably a 50-50 split. Some of them are the first time through for sure. And the ones that are the first timers, they're either people that um, are becoming, the person that has contacted us have become new to the position and have learned through through education, right? So they they have suddenly found found out that they have combustible dust or that they went to a conference or a webinar or whatnot and learned about what a DHA was. And they're like, oh, we need to get on top of this. That seems to be the the newcomers that have never had DHAs or somebody has told them that they need to get it done. So OSHA has come in or the Department of Labor or something of that fashion has come in and said that if you don't have a DHA or have asked for their DHA and if they don't have one, then then they've told them that they have to get on top of it. And then the rest of them, the other 50% would be industries that are on their second round or I don't think we've, I don't think we've got any past second round vendors. Like I don't think there's anybody that's kind of into the, the third round or anything like that. Yeah, I suppose not yet. Um, so do, do you, is, is there a good number of companies that are waiting for OSHA to tell them to do this or uh, are most companies kind of taking the initiative? Uh, there's some companies that are waiting to get told, um, and the those companies are also box checkers is what I refer to it as. So they'll get it done, and then they they could have a uh, items that they need to address, but they've checked the box of getting the DHA done, and so they they drag their their heels, and they don't really seem to have as much initiative to get things done. And I don't know whether it's because of leadership from the top down management or um, the corporate environment at those facilities, or maybe they don't have the capital to do it. I, I don't know what the, the lack of drive is behind getting it done. But there's, there's for sure there will, and there will always be those people. There's also the naysayers of the, you know, we've been operating for 75 years and we've never had an accident. So it'll never, it'll never happen here. Right. Right. And then, um, what percentage of companies do you feel have in-house capability of doing a DHA versus hiring somebody outside to come in and do that? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, what? I'm assuming these would be larger, larger plants that uh, that would have the sometimes, manpower. sometimes because but what it all comes down to is the knowledge base. So. Whether you're standing there and you're looking at a piece of equipment and you understand what the risks are and what the hazards are. So, and there's some people that don't even know um, what an explosion vent is or inlet isolation. And, and that's, it's quite common because they've never been exposed to it. Um, 
So I would say probably less than 10% of the facilities, maybe a little more, but probably not much more, would have where I would feel confident that they would be able to go in and just be able to to cold, just stand around and, you know, walk around with a pad of paper or whatnot and take some pictures and figure out what was the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and what needs to be done or, or what doesn't. Sure. And you talked about how, how busy it's been for you recently. Um, <laughs> do you feel like the industry, are there enough Diane Caves out there to kind of help companies uh, keep their system safe and do these DHAs and, uh, and avoid problems and explosions, et cetera? There's never enough Diane Caves. <laughs> you could always have more Diane Caves in the world. Um, no, I don't think there's enough people um, that with my with my skill set, and I don't say that to you know, sound pompous or anything, but the um, there isn't really a whole lot of people that that have the ability to to carry out a DHA successfully, and there will always be the odd thing that is missed. It's not like we're all we're all human, right? But you should be able to you know get the big things. But uh, I think it was, we'll say it was like three years ago or something like that. Uh, Chris Cloney from Dust Safety Science and I were talking about this. And we said that uh, we were looking at Canada. We said, so roughly in Canada, how many facilities handle combustible dust? Probably, so it should be roughly 10% of what it is in the U.S. We're 10% of the population, so say it was 10% of the, and I forget what we had figured it was for numbers, but say, say it was, um, I don't know, say it was a thousand facilities and it takes a week to do a DHA, probably, probably two weeks, a week to write the report and a week on site. And so then that tells you roughly how many hours you need. And then from that, you know, it's like, okay, so how many people will we need to do that? And I forget what the number was. We figured out that we needed like for within Canada, you needed something like 150 people or something in that realm in order to to be able to to meet that demand and i don't i don't i don't know 150 people <laughs> that have the ability to to do dhas and so it would be even worse in the u.s because there's much more manufacturing especially more food manufacturing sure yeah so we need we need thousands in the u.s probably yeah so there definitely definitely isn't uh, uh not enough people to do it. Well, thank you for uh joining me today. I think this was a good conversation. Uh and it was great it was great talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nate, and I'm glad to do it anytime. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to Ear on Processing. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app and share our episodes with colleagues that could find the information we share helpful.